If you're a Pilates instructor looking to grow using a science-based approach, the Pilates Instructor VIP membership is for you. This is a continuing education resource where you get members-only live workshops, weekly literature reviews, Pilates classes, help with your programming, and so much more. Okay, this is an incredible resource, and you can try it right now risk-free with the link in the show notes. But without further ado, let's get to this week's episode. All right, welcome to the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast, everyone, and I have a special guest, Dr. Iris Platt. Welcome to the podcast, and I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Adam, so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I am a pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, I work in Manhattan in New York City. And um, I went to PT school in, um, at Columbia University. Um, that's where I got my doctorate in physical therapy. And prior to that, I have a background in modern dance. So my, I was a competitive ballroom dancer growing up, then studied all the different kinds of dance in undergraduate, and then ended up uh, getting my master's in neuroscience, and then ended up in PT school, and now I'm working as a pelvic floor PT. So that's kind of a brief summary of my background. Yeah, and I'm nice. so honored to be here. Nice elevator pitch. You just like <laughs> summarized all kinds of impressive information in like 30 seconds. That was good. <laughs> um, so, uh, dear listener, can can any Pilates instructor um, relate to um, having a dance history and then becoming a movement educator? Um, so it's awesome. It's it's very common. Um, Pilates. Uh, Pilates story as well. And shout out to uh, to Kyle Marsh. This um, Kyle Marsh is why um, is how we got we got connected. So I just want to give a shout out at fist pump Kyle. Uh, so today what we're going to talk about is all things um, pelvic floor, um, pelvic floor health, pelvic floor dysfunction, or wherever this conversation uh, goes, which is a very uh, great topic to talk about uh, because it is something that we see in the Pilates studio, um, whether it be group or private. And this would be a great way to update our knowledge to provide our clients the best care possible. One thing I would like to note is that everything stated today is, is not medical advice. This is meant for educational uh, purposes. And by no means is this meant to be um, um, medical advice. We are not telling you to di diagnose people. We're not telling you to treat people. But what we are doing is providing um, education uh, to help better inform your knowledge on all things pelvic floor. That's the mandatory disclaimer. So tell me, um, tell me your story in terms of how you got into pelvic health, because there's so many things you can do as a PT. Why pelvic health? So um, the real story is I kind of fell into it. <laughs> it and it ended up being a big passion of mine. I um, concentrated like my track in PT school was actually neuroscience um, with my neuroscience background. And then I did a clinical rotation in pelvic health just out of curiosity um, and decided to stay because I really loved so many things about it, which I can speak to in just a moment. But I will say that I was introduced to pelvic health very early on um, in my like tw early, early 20s when I was 20 years old. I was studying abroad in Israel 
and I ended up having a hip issue and I was doing improvisational styles and got injured and was going to see a PT. They sent me to another PT who happened to be a pelvic floor PT. I had no idea what I was walking into. And then turns out I had undiagnosed stress urinary incontinence. I was dealing with chronic GI and bloat issues. And I went to this pelvic floor PT and I went for a few sessions and she really helped me in a lot of ways. Um, And so that's kind of, that was my first introduction to pelvic PT and it was always in the back of my mind. But um, I kind of ended up going into it as a professional because I loved how interdisciplinary it was how it merges both the psychosocial, emotional, the interacting with doctors because you're dealing with many different systems. And then also you just get to be with people because PT is awesome. So there's also an orthopedic component and I can't, you can do it all. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's like a whole episode just in, in that story and everything you mentioned. Uh, One thing that stuck out to me is you mentioned that there were, that it wasn't, it didn't necessarily um, like there were multiple symptoms and one of those was just like GI symptoms and you had hip pain and things like that. And then you mentioned um, like psychosocial uh, factors playing a role in, in public floor uh, physical therapy. Like how could you elaborate on that a little bit more? So just to repeat the question, you're, you're asking about how the psychosocial emotional invo- is involved in pelvic floor. Yeah. Yeah. So Basically, first, I guess we have to discuss what is the pelvic floor, because the pelvic floor is this area that we don't really look at. And we kind of like to talk about it as if it's this thing, but it is an actual thing and it exists in our bodies and we're not making it up. And however, it kind of lives in the dark and it's a little hidden and we don't talk about it. So when we think about the pelvic floor, the pelvic floor is a group of muscles in the base of our pelvis, and they are closely related to our sexual bowel and um, urinary function. So, as well as like stability and strength. Um, so when we're thinking emotional, we tend to think, how is it related to our sexual function in terms of arousal? And um, perhaps maybe there's like some trauma in the area or we're just completely disconnected from the area. That could be an emotional connection that we have. It could be stress is a way that our pelvic floor is connected to us because of the way that our GI system responds to chronic stressors in our life. It could be that we have difficulty peeing in public and that could be how our pelvic floor responds to um, stress or emotional things. So there's a lot of different ways that the emotions come into play and we try to work with them as best as we can. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Like, we're, you know, at the end of the day, we're always working uh, with humans and anytime yeah. you're working with humans, there's an emotional component uh, yeah. to it. And now in, in Pilates, it's almost like a buzzword, or if you just walk by a Pilates studio, you'll hear something like, um, pull up your pelvic floor or a lot of pelvic floor, um, cueing and things like that. And there's in, in, and I, I will be the first one to put my hand up, like coming out of Pilates school, I have, you know, I've done that. I've done all the things. And I think it's a really important conversation to have. Um, and we're all doing this with good intent. Mm-hmm. And that's why this is about education to make better decisions. 
And so part of this sometimes is if we feel like someone has like what we would call like a pelvic floor dysfunction or a weakness, we need to always strengthen it. Um, and so, so with that, yeah, you got some passion on your face, so that's good. Uh, this is, it's, it'll be a, a good uh, topic. What would be like, or what is pelvic floor dysfunction? Yeah, that's so it's a good place to start. Let's, let's start with dysfunction, but let's also talk about, um, first of all, what is its function, right? So um, when we're thinking about the function of the pelvic floor, there are four main roles. The first is that it supports the organs, because if you didn't have this trampoline or this um, hammock at the base of your pelvis of skeletal muscle, um, and I'm emphasizing that it's skeletal muscle beaten because of the fact that it's under our volitional control, meaning we can choose to contract it, we can choose to relax it. And so that's really important. We can even choose to lengthen it. So that, that's very important in terms of our ability to interact with it versus it um, being like an indirect interaction. We can directly control these muscles. So the first thing that we can do is that we can have these muscles strong enough and stable enough that our organs don't fall out of our body. That's number one. Number two is it lets things in. For example, a penis, if you want it to be, uh, or any object, if you want for sexual function and pleasure. And then um, it will let things out in the contrary, like bowel or urine, right? Um, and then last is that it would contribute to sexual functioning, whether it is um, or orgasm, arousal, erection, ejaculation, and that kind of stuff. So those are the four main roles of the function of the pelvic floor. Then we get into pelvic floor dysfunction, which essentially just means that the pelvic floor muscles aren't working as they should. And they aren't, um, and there's it, diagnosing pelvic floor dysfunction can get a bit tricky because there are many different ways that pelvic floor dysfunction manifests. And, um, and that can be different in every single person. And we have to look at a many different aspects from sexual urinary bowel function and orthopedic strength, range of motion, stability to really suss out and figure out what is the driving factor of the dysfunction. And that's why there are public floor physical therapists. <laughs> Meaning, so, um, so, so with that, so now we're like a Pilates instructor and we're teaching Pilates and, and we like, what would be signs and symptoms that like, if we're teaching someone to be like, Ooh, like maybe there's something going on with the pelvic floor, just in like a general population, like how yes. would that manifest? Yeah. So I think like, so while I'm not a Pilates instructor, I am a yoga. I, what I didn't mention earlier is that I have a background in teaching yoga. I was teaching yoga in the city for a very long time before starting PT school. Um, and I know that in that community, one of the things that we see a lot is, and when we think of pelvic floor, even for the average Joe or average person on the street, you think prenatal and postpartum. So um, like when we're thinking of the signs and symptoms, we're thinking, often we think like, oh, pregnant people. <laughs> and that's usually where we start. Now, why pregnant people? The 
reason what we might see is that there's urinary dysfunction, stuff like leakage or incontinence, either prenatally or postnatally. The other things that you, and the urinary dysfunction that you might, kind of the signs, you might hear that someone is leaking with a cough, a laugh, a sneeze, or when they jump, um, that's considered stress urinary incontinence. So there's a stressor that is overcoming either weakness or um, that is just putting too much pressure on the pelvic floor that results in a small leakage or dro drops of urine. Um, another sign and symptom would be that someone just says that they kegel all the time <laughs> or that, and let me specify that a kegel is a contraction of the pelvic floor. So if someone is just constantly kegeling, I would probably inquire as to why they feel the need to kegel all the time because there might be an underlying dysfunction around why they're motivated to keep all the time. And yeah, then, I like, yeah, oh, go sorry. ahead. I would like to double click on that. So, so just to double click on that. So when you're referring to someone kegeling all the time, they are uh, constantly contracting their pelvic floor. Correct? Yeah. So exactly. They're just constantly squeezing their pelvic floor. They're like, I do my kegels all the time. I do it while I'm driving in the car and I'm sitting on the subway. And when I'm waiting at the doctor's office, when I'm doing this, I'm always kegeling. And always in my Pilates class, I'm always kegeling, which exactly. Could, and so if someone's always kegeling and uh, how does that generate a problem? Like, wouldn't we just want to always kegel and get stronger? Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, there is some research to show, like there was a study in 2018 that looked at, um, they, they looked at athletes, they looked at like 40 athletes and they looked at their, they, they categorized their incontinence um, and they, they looked at their pelvic floor muscle strength. And they saw that the people who had greater, the athletes that had greater pelvic floor muscle strength were more incontinent. So strength does not equate function. And I think we know that there's, we know that in like regular ortho land, <laughs> because we know that people can compensate really well and that there are other things that can be happening around the, dis the really good strength that can make you have dysfunction. The best way I know how to explain why a tight pelvic floor and when we say increased tone of the pelvic floor is like a very strong pelvic floor isn't always a flexible pelvic floor, meaning it's stuck in a, a one position and it doesn't have variability and adaptability to it, meaning the trampoline doesn't bounce. And when the trampoline doesn't bounce, you can end up with dysfunction from chronic constipation because you can't get gas or um, out of your external anal sphincter. Um, it could be that you're not able to get stool out when you go to the bathroom. It could be that you're leaking because you're so tight. And the, what I like to think about is a fist. So if you were to create a really tight fist in, with your hand, if you had a straw in your hand and water was flowing through that straw, and you were asked to squeeze that straw as tight as you can, but you're already in the fist, nothing would happen because you're already squeezing the straw or the muscles would give out and fatigue and just wouldn't be able to overcome the flow going through the straw. 
And that's essentially what your pelvic floor muscles do around your urethra. They're, they're so tightened and they're in such a shortened position that they can't actually lengthen properly in order to contract effectively. That's a, that's a great analogy. I love this <laughs> the fist and the straw. That's helpful. Uh, now, so it sounds like it's possible with um, incontinence in general that it could be that there could be a weakness of the pelvic floor, or it could be that it won't stop contracting and that its, it's elasticity or its pliability is more of the problem. Is that correct? Yeah. So essentially, when you have range of motion limitations, those range of motion limitations can be due to neuromuscular range of motion. So the person just can't connect to the muscles. They don't know what they're doing. Um, it could be that they, they just don't understand how to lengthen the muscles properly, how to, to contract them properly. Um, but when it comes to weakness, it's either you're weak because you're too tight or too, you don't have the range of motion or you're weak because you're over lengthened or you're weak because of neurological components. So then there's that, which we're going to assume that everyone that we're discussing is neurologically intact. We're going to make that plain um, assumption because that's not always the case, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then as a Pilates instructor, what do we do? It's like, well, how do we figure out if we need to tell them to contract their pelvic floor or not contract their pelvic floor? What does one do? Yeah. So this is where I kind of get a little, um, I debate myself sometimes because if I, I ask myself the same question, like I've been considering getting back into teaching yoga and as a pelvic floor PT, will I be talking about the pelvic floor <laughs> as a yoga teacher? And I, I've been meditating on this and ruminating on this concept. And I really just, the answer for me has always been like, probably not. <laughs> I probably wouldn't mention it because the pelvic floor, if it does its job, if it's doing its job, it will recruit if you engage your abdominals. And the more you load your abdominals and the more you load your body, your pelvic floor should load and should do its job. And unless, even when I'm working with patients who um, have weakness to their pelvic floor, which actually isn't super common. Usually they have tightness, at least in New York City, where we're dealing with a very high stress population. Um, we're not in a high stress population. We're dealing with people who need to actually relax a little bit more and they need to strengthen their exterior muscles from their glutes to their quads, to their core, to their back and improve their breathing in order to improve coordination. And thus their pelvic floor just needs to come along for the ride. So when I'm working with my patients, unless I know that they have a difficulty recruiting their pelvic floor muscles, when I take them out into the gym and I do exercise with them, I rarely actually cue pelvic floor. If anything, I'm asking them, are you relaxed or are you clenching? And it's the complete opposite of asking them to do a contraction. The other thing I will say is also one thing I take note is not just if we're recruiting, asking people to cue, to engage their pelvic floor, but when. So 
Sometimes, especially in the case of stress urinary incontinence, where someone might have leakage in a transition from like sitting to standing or rolling or, or just jumping, um, I might ask them like, when are you actually engaging your pelvic floor? An example would be what we call a knack with cough. So if you cough and you do a little fake cough or clearing of your throat, you theoretically should feel your pelvic floor contract in anticipation of that excess pressure on your pelvic floor. Oftentimes people come to me and they say, hey, I'm leaking with cough. And I have to tell them, okay, I just want you to practice Kegel. And they can Kegel fine. They have perfectly good strength. They just don't know when to Kegel. For some reason, at some point in their life, they just forgot and their pelvic floor got lost in the mix. And they, whether it's they just had a baby or they are just in another world with their brain, they're just not connected and their pelvic floor just forgot what to do. So I just have to tell them, okay, you're going to practice this thing. You're going to squeeze and then you're going to cough. And they practice that for a week, two weeks. And then they start to notice, oh, I tried coughing or I had seasonal allergies and I just had to squeeze before I coughed and then I didn't leak. And sometimes it's not even, it's not a strength issue. It's just when, a matter of when. Yeah. Oh, what a difference. What a difference that can make for someone's quality um, yeah. of life and just a little trick like that. Now, um, going back to well, something that you mentioned, because because you kind of like what was what was cool about that was like you had like your yoga instructor hat on and then you had like your pelvic floor PT um, hat on. So I want to acknowledge that when you had your yoga hat on. Right. So like yoga and Pilates and personal trainer and Zumba instructor, we all have like a very similar, if not the same scope of practice. Right. And when you had that hat on, you mentioned like I just wouldn't cue the pelvic floor. And I, I can't tell you the last time I cued the pelvic floor. It was sometime before, way before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, just because it's, it, it's, I don't find it to be um, useful um, in, in that way. Because I, um, and, and then when you, when you go and you put on your pelvic floor PT hat on, it sounds like there has to be a very specific scenario, a specific type of incontinence and a specific um, issue with that person where you would then say, oh, it's a good idea to do this protocol of asking them to do a Kegel prior to coughing. And I think the specificity of that and also that you're talking from the position of a pelvic floor PT is really important for a Pilates instructor uh, to hear. Are there scenarios where someone would have uh, leakage or incontinence where you would not advise them to do a Kegel prior to coughing? Well, the, I think the question is, is do they know how to Kegel? <laughs> so I wouldn't advise anyone to do a Kegel unless I know for sure that they're actually Kegeling. So, yeah, and, how, and how do you know for sure? Um, so the way I would know for sure is either I trust the patient and I've walked them through certain things, which I can talk about that as well. But um, as a pelvic floor PT, I look at the pelvic floor. So one of the specialties of pelvic floor and what sets pelvic floor PT kind of uh, apart from other types of physical therapists is that we have the certifications and the education to do direct evaluation and examination of the pelvic floor muscles, meaning I look at 
both male and female, scrotum, pelvic floor, perineum, anus, external anal sphincter, and I do both external and internal work to those muscles. So that's the distinction is that I actually can see how well those muscles are moving. So when I tell someone the evaluation that I would do, and again, this is not, I'm not recommending anyone practice this unless you are qualified to do this because this is specific to my practice um, and the practice of pelvic floor PTs, but I'd have the person lying on their back supine and I look at their pelvic floor, obviously with consent. And I look at the labia or I look at the perineal body, depending on male, female, all the anatomy is similar, but it's different. And I ask them to do a squeeze. I ask them to relax and I ask them to lengthen like they're taking a poo. And then I ask them to cough. And I look at all of those three things and I see Are they engaging their pelvic floor in response to a cough before I even cue them and they know what I'm looking for? So this is the the beauty of PT. We we test people, but we don't tell them what we're looking for exactly. So we can get a real idea of what's going on. (laughs) And oftentimes I'll be like, someone will squeeze and I'll ask them to squeeze and they'll be like, am I squeezing? And I'm like, does it feel like you're squeezing? And they're like, I I don't know. And I'm like, I don't think you are. <laughs> or I'll ask them to push like they're taking a poo. And I'm like, so how how well did you think that went? And they're like, I don't think it moved. And I'll be like, yeah, it didn't move. It didn't move. And so we start yeah. to discern, like, is it a range of motion limitation? Is it a coordination limitation? Do they just not know what to do? And there the treatment starts to come into play. Yeah, so it sounds like you're doing a very detailed examination that uh, requires additional credentials. Because even myself, as as uh, just full disclosure, everyone like in, in PT school or physical therapy school, uh, we're told to refer out uh, all the time to uh, refer out to a pelvic floor physical therapist. And the reason why I share that is that even as a doctor of physical therapy, I would still refer out to a pelvic floor physical therapist so they can get a, the proper examination to then get the proper treatment. So if a doctor of physical therapy needs to do that, you know, so does a yoga instructor and so does a Pilates instructor. And that's not a, a, a diss, that's not anything to be ashamed of. That is, that is appropriate care uh, for, for your client. So, so always feel free and, and empowered to, to refer out because at the end of the day, this, this is about uh, helping the client uh, the, best, the best that we can. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. This is my way of giving back to the Pilates industry. This industry has given me so much in my lifetime and you can give back to the industry as well by giving this podcast a five-star review, which allows us to reach more Pilates instructors. When we reach more Pilates instructors, we can have more of an influence on the Pilates industry and encourage the industry to grow using science-based tools. This is actionable right now. You can pause this and give a double tap on the five stars and it can have an incredible impact. But with that, let's get back into the action. Um, so, so it sounds like you do a very, a very detailed um, evalu- evaluation in, in that helps guide your treatment. I'd like to fair? add also yeah. that we refer out a lot as well. So we as pelvic floor PTs, and this is why I said interdisciplinary, 
because there is so much going on that even as a pelvic floor PT, I have to refer out to vulvovaginal um, specialists for dermatological issues. I have to send people out to GI, to urogynecology, to urology. I have to send people, I, I can't do doula work. I can't do sex counseling. I can't do mental health care. So when things come up, it is my job. I am, it's important to know your scope of practice. And even though I have a, I love what I do, I know the limits of what I can do and what I should do in order to best serve my patient or my client. Yeah. And that's our duty of care. Our duty of care is to know like, how can I help and where are the boundaries of where I can help and then be able to refer out. And that's like what, for anyone listening to this, it's, it's so helpful to have people in your neighborhood that you can refer out to. It's also good for your business because if they like you, they might refer to you too. Um, so, so it's good business strategy. So, so having like a local um, public floor physical therapist, a local um, you know, orthopedic physical therapist, um, so on and so forth can be extremely valuable for you as a business person, but also for your client to get appropriate care. Um, as well. And then, you know, as, um, as we're mentioning, even like as physical therapists, um, you know, it's always, um, you always want to have that in your back pocket because it is an inter interdisciplinary practice. Now you mentioned like, like, um, so, so you do like an evaluation and then like in your evaluation will then guide your treatment. And how do you, um, help like encourage like engagement or relaxation um, of the pelvic floor based on what you find? So the, it's a good question. So once I do an evaluation and let's, let's make it clear by, let's say this person has an over overly tense pelvic floor, but they also don't know how to contract or to lengthen. So very disconnected yet also very tense and tight. Um, my first step is always breath work because I think that the breathing is a window into the pelvic floor. It helps us, helps the patient kind of connect down and often belly breathing would be the start, even though belly breathing is, I know I'm speaking to a lot of educated Pilates practitioners out there, belly breathing isn't diaphragmatic breathing. When we're thinking diaphragmatic breathing, we're breathing all the way down into the pelvic floor through the abdomen, the abdomen moves, but it's really the diaphragm that's dropping down that creates that sump pump action of the pelvic floor and diaphragm moving together with an inhale and an exhale. So I usually use breathing as my like gateway to pelvic floor. And I try to get people to just feel the natural movement of the pelvic floor as they breathe. And oftentimes, in my clinic, I might, if someone's really struggling, I might with them, their permission, place a finger at their perennial body, place some pressure at their perennial body and have them take a deep breath in, in a happy baby position. When they're doing that, their belly expands into their thighs and they're going to feel their anus expand and their perennial body should drop into my hand. And I ask them, I say, Hey, I'm not moving my finger, but do you feel that there's increased pressure at this point where I'm touching? And they'll say, yes. And I'm like, okay, now breathe out and they'll feel the pressure release. 
and I'm saying, I didn't move my finger, you're moving around my finger. And so that's one tactile cue that I would use. If you're obviously not a pelvic floor PT, what I would do is I would take um, something that I like to do with my patients who might not be comfortable with pelvic work because that does happen. I do have patients that I've never seen their pelvic floor. Um, I take a towel and I roll it up like a hand towel and I roll it up lengthwise and I have them sit on it. So it's between the sitting bones from front to back from pubic bone to sacrum and coccyx. And I'll have them sit in more of like a squatty potty position. So with their feet a little higher, their hips are flexed, their knees are bent and they're loaded and sitting with pressure at their perennial body on the towel. And what I would do is I just have them take a deep breath wide into their rib cage, wide into their belly, and then see if they can feel the pelvic floor dropping down into the towel. So before we even get to like, can you Kegel? Can you lengthen? The question is, can you feel? <laughs> yeah. And can you specify like who this would be for and who this would be unnecessary to do? I think this is for everyone. Uh, everyone deserves to connect to this area. Doesn't matter who you are. Uh, doesn't matter what parts you have. Everyone needs to connect to this area, just like we would say that everyone needs to know where their shoulder is. Yeah, 100%. So, so it can be valuable. So, so, that, so this, the, the towel exercise can be valuable. Uh, for anyone, but then you can get more specific as a pelvic floor PT within your treatment. And, and so what about if going like putting like yoga hat on or Pilates hat on you? Um, so we mentioned doing like breathing exercises to connect to the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. But then we also talk about, uh, I wouldn't cue pelvic floor. Right as a, in that practice. So so can you explain the difference between those two approaches on like why you wouldn't cue pelvic floor, but then, but I, but everyone deserves to connect to it with these exercises. Yeah. Um, so the reason I'm cautious of cueing pelvic floor is even just from patients that I've seen. So I have had, I'll give you an example of one patient who has a strong history in Pilates came to me, older, older, older patient. She's absolutely lovely. And she is strong. Like I'm telling you strong can do all the Pilates things. <laughs> However, um, upon there, she was struggling with stress urinary, like some stress, urinary, some urinary incontinence. So it would, what we would classify as mixed incontinence because she had some urgency and incontinence due to urgency and some other bladder behavior, it, things that are going on as well, um, as well as some stress urinary incontinence with walking and with physical activity, the activities that she does in her daily life. So she comes to me and we're trying to figure out, and I, I do all the basic like knack with cough. I do the, the breathing, relaxing the pelvic floor, being aware, but upon my assessment, like she can Kegel super well. <laughs> and we had a couple sessions, things were getting better in some regards, but she was still leaking. And then I, I had her, I noticed that she couldn't upon like late, later ex assess, um, sessions, I started noticing that she couldn't Kegel without her abdominals. So 
if I just asked her to Kegel, there was just, it, and I told her, don't use your, don't use a big exhale. Don't do your prepare, your pull your abdomen in, do the whole thing. She couldn't recruit the muscles. So the ability to dissociate her pelvic floor from her abdominal and from the whole like dance of preparation for a crunch or a, in some sort of abdominal exercise, it was impossible. And so that was the rest of our focus. And so we really worked on just being able to recruit those muscles in isolation of everything else, because they are muscles that you can recruit in isolation of everything else. Now, something that I'd like to, to double click on is how did you assess that? Let's say that, like, how, how could, how could you confirm that the pelvic floor and let's say transverse abdominis or external oblique, internal oblique, the abdominals were contracting together, like they, that you couldn't differentiate? Was it like you standing across the room and being like, hmm, it looks like they're all turning on? Or did you get a little bit more specific? So I was actually using digital palpation. So I had my finger, my one finger inside of her vaginal canal. And I had my other hand on top of her stomach. And I would feel for um, her Kegel, I would either have her engage everything and then have her let something go and try to just breathe into her belly while maintaining a contraction around my finger. And I'm using my own sense. We also ended up getting her um, a EMG biofeedback device in order to get that feedback so she could do that work at home. So we're using tools in addition to, um, so EMG biofeedback would be the most accurate way to assess that. But um, the other way that you can tell is digital palpation. So I would have not been able to know that if I wasn't feeling at her pelvic floor. Yeah, and I, I wanted to double click on that because um, as a as a Pilates instructor, as a yoga instructor, or insert blah 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 instructor, it's important to recognize how a pelvic floor physical therapist can differentiate this and how that's that's doing something very specific. So us teaching us cueing, don't engage your transverse abdominis, only your pelvic floor, and then looking at it is not a valid way of assessing if that actually happened or that our clients have understood it. So I just wanted to, to double click on that, that, that there's like um, a significant skill in training and also technology that is being used um, during, during these, these assessments, uh, which is really, really helpful. Um, but, it's also, but, but then it's also interesting how you mentioned that the abdominals and the pelvic floor were contracting uh, together and in, in, in that this person had been doing Pilates. Did they share anything about their Pilates experience, such as, oh, they they told me to engage my core or things like that, that maybe if they were taught differently, they could have had a different experience. I think that um, this person has a history of like a, a history of in her family, people have been incontinent, like her mother, her, her mother and her grandmother and stuff like that. So she was always concerned that that would be a thing. And then with, having years i'm telling i'm i believe she was she had like we're talking about years over a decade or more of pilates even one-on-one -on -one education so i think that there's a lot of information that's given out in a one-on-one -on -one setting 
And sometimes it can just be too much and you just get stuck in a pattern. So I, I think that for her, it was a bit of fear, fear of what might come from, um, and we, we had spoken about that together, but also um, how, how she was thinking about that she needs to engage her pelvic floor with her abs in order to get the proper abdominal recruitment. And the reality was, is that she could, she should be able to do both, engage them together, engage them separately, and it shouldn't matter so much. I just don't know if the emphasis should be on the pelvic floor, but more on like pressure management and um, the things that you can see from the outside. Yeah. And so, so then, you know, if some, you mentioned um, a lot of education uh, being had in a one-on-one -on -one, and a lot of times it's what we're paid for. They want like individualized treatment. They would like some, like a, some people, not everyone want some education along with, with the, um, the actual Pilates experience or the workout. What would be like appropriate pelvic floor education for a Pilates instructor to provide um, a client? And then where do we start to blur the lines or like, you don't need to say that. I think that cueing sensations, so feeling for sensation and observation is totally within everyone's scope. Um, it, just like I was speaking about the diaphragmatic breathing. So breathing in and feeling a pelvic floor drop, you can even ask for a Kegel and see, can you feel for a squeeze? I also use Kegels as a way to teach people how to relax. So can they feel for contrast? Can they feel their perennial body lift? Can they feel their clitoris engage or their turtle, the penis come into the shell, <laughs> the head of the penis come Quite into the, the shell? <laughs> and can they feel it release? So in contrast, so thinking about sensations of contrast, can they allow um, the anus to expand? And it's just noticing what happens when. I think this is really important for noticing, especially if someone has like a history of like prolapse or has mentioned some sort of significant medical history or is postpartum or in, in, a, in a position where you know that they might have an overlengthened pelvic floor, that it might be helpful to let them know that those things exist. However, I just evaluated recently a postpartum female who gave birth to premature, um, her child is premature. And she, I, I saw her for two sessions only because she didn't have any pelvic symptoms, but she had some aching and pain post post delivery. And the reality is, is she just needed to relax. She was too tense. She did not have a strength issue and she was postpartum. So you just really never know. <laughs> So, um, and I was, it's like, it's always surprising to me when I get those, because I even have certain patterns and categories that I put people in and I have to put on my PT hat and make sure that I'm looking at the evidence and I'm looking at the data that I'm not putting them into a category that I'm not saying, oh, they look like they're older, they are weak. They look like they're unstable. It's like, maybe their pelvic floor is working way too hard because their hips are weak, because their glutes are weak, because their quads are weak. The pelvic floor is the CEO, CEO of your body. It will not let your body fail. So if everything else is not doing its job, your pelvic floor will work overtime to make sure it does its job.
So weakness everywhere else does not mean that the pelvic floor is necessarily weak. So I just, I'm just always cautious. Like when I put on my yoga teacher hat, I just, I, to a gen pop, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't mention it other than sensations. That's, that's my personal opinion. Um, yeah. Sounds yeah. like just like get your, get your clients moving. But then there's the, the then there's also like uh, what can be important is to like have our like a light bulb come on to be like Ooh, maybe I need to refer out right I don't know if I need to refer out because because we can't do the examination of do you need to relax you need to lengthen like what to do and if someone is constantly contracting and then we just keep cueing them to contract we could be contributing further to to a problem. What would be signs and symptoms for a uh, any kind of fitness instructor to think of referring to a pelvic floor physical therapist? Yeah, um, it's a really good question. So like I said, if someone just mentions that they're having any leakage in general, bowel, fecal leakage, or urinary leakage, I think that's a perfectly good reason to refer. However, that's rare that people will mention that. Um, that might be on you as a provider to mention or like a provider of care and, and fitness that to mention that these are things to look out for. And then it opens a door for your clients to maybe talk to you about it. Um, the other thing that you can look out for is like if they go to the bathroom multiple times during a session. So if they're having urinary or like frequency where they're just peeing all the time. Um, that might be a reason for them to go to pelvic floor PT. If they're always going just in case before the session, um, just in case peeing is situational. I do it sometimes too, but going just in case creates its own pelvic floor dysfunction. And usually it's colloquially or it's, it's normal. It's seen as co it's common amongst people, but it's not necessarily good for our pelvic floors to be doing that. Um, another thing would be like if someone's queefing, um, where the air comes out of the vaginal area and they see sound, they're either losing gas or losing air from their vaginal canal. Um, it's sign of some sort of weakness or pressure management issue at the pelvic floor. Um, we can get into bowel and sexual dysfunction. So for bowel, if someone has chronic IBS, like either IBSC constipation or D diarrhea or mixed, they might benefit from coming to a pelvic floor PT. Um, I just want to yeah. uh, translate that IBS is irritable bowel syndrome for anyone yes. who got googly eyed with acronym. <laughs> and then also it's just like, if you're, if your client looks like they're just super bloated and you're like, why, why are they so, so like, why is their abdomen so distended? Why can't they, draw their abdomen in, right? And then they mention maybe that they're having bloating issues. You can be bloated because your pelvic floor is too tight um, in addition to other dietary and GI con con contributions. Um, another is pain with sex uh, or penetration of any kind. If someone says they have anorgasmia, so they just aren't able to orgasm. They mention it casually. You never know it. People talk about all sorts of things in the yeah, session. We're getting into like one-on-one -on -one private session. <laughs> told them too much territory. <laughs> or just like pain. They're having pain and they've been to a PT and PT hasn't helped. 
and it's something like hip or low back pain and it's just recurrent and constant and they just haven't been able to get the bottom of the issue. Just pelvic floor PTs have a whole angle to look at that other PTs don't have. Yeah. And also, <laughs> even if it isn't a pro, like, even if it's like, oh, I can't really help them, you, you also know where to refer to, mm -hmm. uh, which is great. And then, so, so some things that I, um, with my Pilates instructor hat on, right, there is like the, the urinary ones are ones you can easily see, right? You can see that your client, like, like I'm, I'm going back in my day at like teaching club Pilates, which is like a 12 reformer class. And then someone all of a sudden drops the straps and they basically do a like a beeline straight to the bathroom. That would be like an urgency. Like I have to go right now. There was no like, I'm finishing the exercise and I'm gonna get water and then I'm gonna go to the restroom. So just trying to paint the picture of what this looks like to the Pilates instructor. Um, you know, or like um, we, we teach something called jump board on the reformer. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but a lot of times um, a, uh, usually a female will say, oh, I can't do any jumping, right? I can't do any jumping because I'll leak. Would you say that that, if, how are, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think that's pretty common for us. Like that's a way that it comes out in a Pilates session is when we pull out the jump board. Mm -hmm. um, and so what are your thoughts on that? If a client says, no, I'll leak during a jump board, I can't do it. And they haven't seen a pelvic floor physical therapist. What would be the appropriate action for a Pilates instructor? I think, um, I mean, it depends on your rapport with how, how well you know them. I think that A, you respect their boundary. You don't make them do anything that they don't want to do. That's the first thing. You don't, you don't say, I'm going to fix you or we can do this. We can figure this out. You just have to Kegel. Like, drop it all. Listen to them because that's the first thing you need to do. They don't want to do something. Even in PT, in our sessions, if my patient doesn't want to do something, we don't do it. Sure. Um, the second thing is I would just be honest and just be like, hey, why? Like, do you want to talk more about that? Inquire. Make it be open-ended. You can say as little. Usually what I tell people um, in my sessions, they, they, they come to me usually expecting to talk about this stuff, but not always. Sometimes people come into my appointments and an evaluation with me and they, they have no idea what to expect. And so I tell them, you can tell me as little or as much as you want. That's up to you. But the more information I have, the more I can help you. And so, and what you say is that you say like, do you mind telling me more about your leakage and why you're scared to jump? It, did that leakage start at a certain point? Did something bring it up? Or is that something that you've kind of always had? And then it kind of opens the conversation. And then you can say, hey, listen, I know this pelvic floor PT. Is this something that you want to work on? Because you have options. Let's, and then maybe they're not comfortable with it yet. And so you, you revisit it another time, be like, hey, did you ever follow up on that thing? <laughs> and you kind of, have to work a little awkwardly around it because I know that it's not like the most comfortable thing to talk about, especially if someone's resistant. But I think it's important to let people know that they have help. And trust me, like just be just by letting them know we exist, you're helping that person. Because I have had patients come to me and I am their third PT. 
and they'll come in and they'll sit down and I'll say, listen, I've been to pelvic floor PT before. I wasn't ready. I'm ready now. And so sometimes people just aren't ready. So you just do your best. You put it out there. You let them know it exists. If they trust you, maybe you can ask more open-ended questions and kind of help guide them to feel more comfortable um, about it. So that, that's what I'd recommend. That's awesome. And I think that's a great like take-home message for, for Pilates instructors is to, to understand like when is it appropriate you know, to, to start to think about referring out and then how do you handle those conversations? And I love how you, how you discussed uh, collaborating uh, with your client uh, using uh, open-ended questions. Uh, respecting their boundaries is a big one as well. And then also a key thing is we also need someone to refer out to. So that's very important to any listener, you know, just being aware of local public floor physical therapists, um, as well as other healthcare practitioners can be, can be very, very helpful uh, to, to, to allow your clients to get the care they need if they're willing and ready uh, to do so. Now, I am conscious of time. Is there any um, like last like message that you would just like to share uh, with the listeners? I um, really what the last thing I kind of what I'd like to kind of put out there is that like Pilates and just movement and getting people moving in general is working with the pelvic floor. So oftentimes we think we're not doing pelvic floor work because we're not cueing pelvic floor. And this is where we just have to trust a little, trust that our bodies are resilient, that they're going to do their job, and that pathology does not define our destiny. So just because someone has a dysfunction, because we started this whole thing defining dysfunction, doesn't mean that they're going to have a problem. And um, I think that's just so important to keep in mind when we're teaching movement in general, because then we can have a little more fun with it <laughs> and take it a little less seriously and just let people get the benefits that come from the beautiful modality that you use as your medium to connect. What a beautiful message. Um, thank you for sharing all of your knowledge and, and providing a sense of education for all of the listeners. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, Iris. Thank you. I, thank you, Kyle, by the way. Thank you, Kyle, for the recommendation. <laughs> shout out. You get two shout outs in this episode. Um, and to all the listeners, um, what if there were, or actually, if there was a way for the listeners to get a hold of you, Iris, how could they do so? So they can find me on Instagram, dr.irisplatt. Um, and then I also have my website, www.irisplatt.com. I'll give you the information for it. It's been such an honor. Um, I'm really, really grateful and to be here and to be able to share this information because I'm very passionate about it and I want people to know about it too. Yeah, well, thank you for spreading the good word, sharing your passion. And for all of the listeners, um, um, Iris's uh, Instagram as well as website and all of the contacts are in the show notes. So it's okay if you didn't write that down because you can click on it in the show notes. And I will see you next week. Have an awesome day.